me just welcome you if you're with us for our first Sunday, or maybe you have been hindered from being here for a few weeks. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, also a reminder that in our building, we've got multiple places here with simulcasts, so should you have need personally or a child cause it, outside we've got a simulcast room out here, and the sound's excellent out there. Of course, we have a mass-only space upstairs, and um, we're just thankful that God's afforded us space in this building to spread out in these times. But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to ask you to turn there. It's in your bulletin insert. I'm getting a little feedback. I don't know if, I don't know, now I pointed it out, and you're probably already trying to fix it. Sorry, guys. Uh, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe am I supposed to scoot back or up? Does that help with the speakers? Back. There we go. Awesome. Sorry, guys. Thank you. I'm going to give an introduction before you read, so just keep your thumb on the passage uh, on the bulletin insert there. You see a title of our text this morning is, you know, who cares what who thinks? Um, you ever had somebody tell you how you are, right? Like they know you and they say things like, well, no, no, you're good. No, you're nice. You're kind. You're strong. You're smart. And someone, look, they tell you how you are. Maybe we should wonder on what authority or source are they able to speak these things about us? Can they truly know you? No, they cannot. You know that. So maybe you speak up and you push back with your own self-assessment. Or maybe you silently differentiate what you think of you versus what they think of you. Or worse than that, what you have caused them to think about you which then causes you to think about the you that you think of yourself and the you that you presented to others. And it gets messy really quickly, doesn't it? Add in social media and what we do even subconsciously that we hope will help others assume things about us. And when we see their response to what we hope they'll assume about us, we start to think different things about ourselves. It gets pretty messed up. This text takes us right into the heart of that reality, what others think of us and what we think of ourselves. And folks, um, I think this is just huge. What, what they think and what I think can absolutely own us, our reality. We live in a time in, when it, in which it's normal to announce our opinion about everything. I'm not going to preach on that, but it's true. It is just so true. We announce our opinion on everything. We watch other people's announcements about everything. And so what often guides our emotions is what people think about this versus what I think about this, which prompts me to think about what I think of my view of this, which is my thinking about me, which caused me to think things about them. Now, we got to be careful because the things we think about things matter, don't they? We're called to be wise with what we think. But in what world is our daily comportment, our daily composure, our daily re emotional reality supposed to be dominated by what they think versus what I think? That is an unstable world. And we live in it. And so what we're going to look at this morning holds out so much freedom for us. I hope you'll feel it and by God's Spirit take it in little bit of contextual reminder. Last week we looked at the, most of chapter 3. And in verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul gives a command. He says, beware of self-deception. That matters for what we're going to look at this morning. 
Beware of assuming things about yourself or about the world or about who you follow or about life or death or the present or the future. All those things are gifts to you. You're Christ. Christ is God's. But beware of self-deception and having it all upside down. That's what we looked at last week. He also says at the end of verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, beware of boasting in others. I mean, ask yourself the question, why do we do that? Why do we boast in people who will let us down? Well, I, th- I think much of someone else because it makes me think good of the wisdom I have of myself to know who to follow. So what I think of myself flows out of what I think of them, which usually is based on what they are saying and how the world reacts to them. And it happens so subliminally that actually it's just uh, what I think of me and what I think of them guiding my reality. Paul goes straight into the heart of that in this five verses we're going to look at in a second. Um, I've been looking forward to preaching on these five verses for the last three months because I need it so desperately. Um, Chapter four is a hinge chapter. Last thing I'll say before we read. It's a hinge chapter. Here's what I mean by that. I'll preach today. Pastor Bill's going to preach next Lord's Day. We'll be out of town. Um, But the, the... the, the first three chapters, Paul is giving us sort of a grid by which to understand what he's going to say, right? The wisdom of God versus the foolishness of the world. He's going to talk to the church at Corinth and say, you're so divided among yourselves, you don't realize you're distracted from or you're dividing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need Christ and him crucified centrally. That's your identity. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. That's kind of the first three chapters, sort of a, a big, thick worldview introduction Then what we're going to look at starting in chapter 5 is he's going to hit really difficult issues head on. He will say, first words of chapter 5, it has been reported to me that you basically celebrate sexual immorality. Or in chapter 6, it's been reported to me that there's lawsuits among believers. He's going to go into all these specific things. What he does in chapter 4 is he says, I want to give you reason why you should trust the authority in which I come at these issues. He's basically going to justify his apostolic ministry in what I'll read and what Pastor Bill will look at next week. So chapter 4 is like a hinge chapter. But it is so instructive for you and for me as to how we view reality. Because Paul's going to tell us how he views reality. So he's just finished saying, you are upside down and immature. You have a wrong view of Christian leadership. You follow Paul, Apollo, Cephas. Then look at the way our text starts. He says, this is how one should regard us. If I've told you about the wrong way, let me instruct you on the right way to view my ministry among you. So with that sort of long intro, would you stand with me and let's hear God's word read and we'll jump in together. It's short and it's powerful and it's very direct to us. Would God bless the reading and hearing of his word? This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation 
from God. This is the word of God. Father, help us, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you apply these words and the gospel to our lives? Confront, convict, comfort your people in this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So he says, this is how one should regard us. Who are us? Us are ministers of the gospel. He's talking about himself. He's talking about Apollos, Cephas. One commentator says, this text is about, quote, the judgment of men on ministers. Paul basically saying, I realize that the powers in Corinth don't think much of us. I realize that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I won't be too personal, um, but it's a very personal text to anyone who's been called into ministry. This set of verses. To pastors, to ministers of the gospel, to Pastor Bill, to myself. Surely you've seen it. Unfortunately, I bet you have. Ministers so often struggle with the opinions of other people. And if it goes south, it goes in one of two directions. Either fear of man, a pastor just wanting to be liked, afraid to bring up hard things, afraid to speak directly, afraid of people and their opinions, it turns into weakness, which unfortunately often results in quitting or trying to escape an addiction and things like that. If it goes off course, it can go that direction. But we've also seen it can go the other direction where a minister of the gospel starts to have a lofty, arrogant view of self. It becomes a minister full of anger, authoritarian pride. Have you seen how many ministers, celebrity pastors have been asked to step down because of an oppressive culture in the church that they pastor? We've seen it in the last couple of years, time and again. Maybe they're not so much a visibly broken, weak minister, but they leave people around them broken. When it goes off course, it goes in one of two directions. I think too much what they think, or I think too much of what I think. And that's where the Apostle Paul goes directly in this text. He just confronts it. He says, this is how you should regard us, servants of Christ. Notice it's, well, you can't notice it. Let me tell you this. It's not the, the word diakonos. It's not the common word servant in the Greek. This word is only used here. And it's a word that means uh, I'm an under, under rower in a boat, down in the hull, not up on deck, just pulling in the direction that I'm caused to pull. Just the word here, I will say this. I'm on about a 10-inch riser maybe. We live in a world where churches have stages. I find it difficult that the word to describe a minister here is an under rower, not even up on the deck. And yet ministry is so often turned into the platform because we want the audience to hear. And it's got to be a clear message delivered to groups of people that God gathers. But what a challenging, hard thing for the heart of the minister. Stages and lights, and yet the word Paul says, under rowers in the hull of a boat, you don't even see us. Next thing he says, regard us as stewards of the mysteries of God. This is the Greek word oikonomos. Oikos is the Greek word for house. So it's a housekeeper of like a large estate. This steward is usually still a slave. That's important to know. So let me just read a comment from a, from a writer. This steward was responsible not to his fellow servants, but to the master. He's not expected to exercise his own initiative, still less his own personal authority. 
He simply is to do his master's bidding and look after his affairs. He must not lord it over the other servants. He's just a servant himself. He can't play fast and loose with them, but he also can't deprive them of what the master has given them. He has nothing to give except what the master has given him. Paul says, regard us as servants who are stewards, and we're stewards of the mystery of God. And I won't spend too much time there, but when you see that, like in Ephesians chapter 1, the mystery is the message of God coming to earth in the flesh. They plan from before the foundation of time. To unite all things in Christ. He unites sinners through the sacrifice of Christ. But Christ will come to reign and the world will bend the knee. Philippians chapter 2. To the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Through whom we find favor. His righteousness not our own before our holy judge. So I'm a steward of the master's story. A steward must be found trustworthy Paul writes. If you're not trustworthy, you're not a steward for long. In fact, you're not even being a steward because you're trying to represent yourself. So Paul says, don't condemn us, but also don't eulogize us. We're just servant stewards. And what I want us to see this morning is there is so much freedom held out in this if we realize that we live in a world where we chase meaning by our performance. We chase meaning by our positions. Whatever your roles are in your home, I I coach a little kid's sports team, I'm a pastor of a church, some of you are employees or you're an employee, you're an educator, whatever your role is, there's so much freedom held out here in a world where we find our identity through our performance based on what other people tell us they think of us. It's not that easy though, is it, to be a servant steward? And that's what I want us to go into this morning. It wouldn't have been easy in Corinth, understand that very clearly, and it's not easy today. Our tendency as Christians is to say things like this, I want my life to be about God's way, I want to be about his kingdom, I want it to be about his call, I want to be most about what he thinks of me, but my emotional reality on a daily basis is mostly governed by what they think of me, what I think they think of me, or what I think of myself. And it makes us sick. Now, I, used, I told AJ I was going to share this example. And apparently, what I think of is different than what he thinks of. But if I say Viking, the Viking ship ride, do you know what I'm talking about at the fair? I think he knew it as something else. I don't know. The fair here must not be a Viking ship. But growing up, it was the Viking ship. You get on the Viking, well, pirate ship, I guess, yeah. But you go back and forth and back and forth, right? You get sick in both directions, Those who are afraid of the ride try to sit in the middle as if they're not going to get sick. They won't go up as high. Those who are obnoxious sit at the very ends. Even if you have a seatbelt and you don't fall off and die, you get really sick. And it can be a communal grossness as a result. That's what I think of. Neither side is any good. Not if you get motion sickness. Paul is going to show us two things that cause the church to get really sick. You go to one extreme or the other, and we are a sick group of people. So on the one side, it's what others think. Verse 3, he says, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Translation, I don't care what you think. Now, he's saying, I'm aware that you have thoughts about me, Right? That in, that in itself is very heavy. I'm aware they're thinking things about me. I don't know what roles and positions you have in life. 
But I will just tell you, maybe that's why this is a word to ministers. Let's be honest. People think things about us. I write an email. I stand up here and preach. I know you think things about me. You can't not. I'm aware of that. Lead a group of people through COVID-19. They will think things about you. You all are a wonderfully gracious group of people, but with leadership comes people's thoughts. And Paul says, I'm aware that you have thoughts toward me, whether it's a formal court that's going to evaluate my labor, and would Paul not stand before kings? Did Paul not stand before the courts of men? Yes, he did time and again. But he also let us know that it's not just the courts of men that, that judged him. There was also the peanut gallery, the click over here and there, mocking his statue, his stature. Remember what we read from a first century writer? His unibrow, his crooked legs. Paul says, I know you think things about me. It's a small thing to me. One commentator says, this does not mean that he was not hurt by their criticism, but that he was not moved by it. Is it a small thing what people think of us? I, I would just say to you, in a world of bullies, in a world of critics, in a world of public opinion, it is a big thing. We feel that. It's not small to us. And some of you have suffered tremendously harsh critics, abusive. They've broken you. It happens. We fret, we get anxious, we hide, we fake it. I told a story of a little girl this morning of what happened yesterday. But if I put little girls on the soccer field and they play outside wing or defender of me, I've told you this before, but I'll remind you, their first question is always, is that on the parent's side or the coach's side? I don't have any girls that want to play on the parent's side. At least they don't volunteer quickly. It's just the world in which we live. Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Now, Paul's not even saying everybody has evil opinions about me, just knows that it can control us. How big of a deal is it what others think of us? It can be life impacting and controlling. And here's the problem. It can obstruct the gospel and it does with regularity. Jesus said in John 5, how can you believe the gospel when you receive glory from one another instead of the glory that comes from God? If you're Having other people's opinion orbit around you or you orbit around other people's opinion, whether their opinion of you is high or is low, it's an obstruction to God's view of you. That's what Jesus says. Now, what, what does the gospel say to this? The gospel crushes fear of man, people. It just kicks it out of the room. By the gospel, we can say the way the last chapter ended. I am Christ and Christ is God's. And the only court of opinion that I am concerned with, the only source that matters, the only approval that defines me is the glory that's been promised to me in the gospel of God through Jesus. So much so that we can expect God to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, even though we know we've not always been the steward we ought to be. Even if the, the world says, what a joke, what a waste, what a mistake, what a sinner, we say, what a glorious recipient of God's affection through Jesus. Now, what does this look like? Um, 
I want to just give a small illustration. I think of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, also in Galatians 1, same guy who writes this letter. He, he essentially has multiple places in the Bible where he will say, go ahead and remind me what I once was. Go ahead and remind me of all of my failures. Remind me I was a murderer. Remind me I was a self-righteous turd. Remind me of the people I wrecked. Be like Job's friends. Go ahead and remind me that I had shipwrecks. I had problems. I had pain. I got physical issues. God wouldn't take away the weaknesses I asked him to take away. Remind me of all of that because if you do, you prompt me to run to the identity that I don't deserve to have by grace through Jesus Christ. Go ahead and remind me. That's what this looks like. That much freedom. Galatians 1 verse 10 Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. What a great word. Now, it's, it's, it's more complicated than I'm making it. I know that, right? Aren't we supposed to evaluate others and have others evaluate us? Yes. Aren't we deceived in our sin? Didn't Jesus say by their fruits they're known? Didn't James say, I'll show you my faith in the gospel by what I do? So we should have others evaluate what we do. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, the spiritual person judges all things. And we're supposed to judge each other's acknowledgement of God's glory, submission to his law and obedience. So what can all this mean if Paul then says, I don't really care what you think of me. I think Romans 14, 4 helps us. So if you're going to write a verse down, that might be one of the most important this morning. Here's what Paul says. Who are you to pass judgment on another person's servant? It is before the master, his own master, that he stands or falls. So here's the picture. You or I can help one another stand before the master that we're a servant and a steward of. It should be of great account how we help each other stand before the master. But it should be a small account what our peer thinks of us, even if that peer is a brother or sister in Christ. It's of great account that you show me, by God's word, if I'm living in violation to his holiness and if I'm a cranky, un ungracious, self-righteous individual. It's of great account that you show me that because you're, you're helping me be a better steward before the master. But it's a small account if you like my personality or not. Paul's point is, yes, we need one another to evaluate service to our master, but your judgment as a fallible human being does not control me. Okay. I don't know, maybe a little freedom in the room. Anybody feeling like something's off their shoulders or starting to be, if it's a real issue in your life? But if we follow this to the extreme, doesn't it make us kind of autonomous? I'm my own island. You can't talk to me. I can be however we want kind of people. Doesn't that seem dangerous? This is what I love about this passage. No, if we follow it to the extreme, then the same exact thing applies to our own opinion of ourselves. And that's where Paul goes. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't care what I think. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. He says, I'm not aware of anything against me. What, a, what an amazing statement. He's saying, I'm free of any sense of guilt of how I have stewarded my life. Again, if we're like Job's friends, we're like, man, you are lying. You are not a perfect man. You've run over some people. 
All the challenges in your life is because God's making sure you know that you're not that perfect. But notice what he says. He says, no, my conscience doesn't accuse me. Even if it did, through the gospel, the blood of Christ, my conscience is cleansed of dead works. But he goes on to say, even if I have a clear conscience, that in itself doesn't acquit me. I still will stand before the judge. So what I feel about my performance in the end, it's not that important to me. I don't care what I think of my service, my performance, my reputation, my gifts. Y'all, this should offend our sensibilities in our self-esteem culture, where what you think of you is the most important arbiter of who you are. This is super offensive. Totally different worldview. Do we not tend to have cultural permission right now to think too much of ourselves, whether high or low? If it's too high and you're full of pride and hubris, then the more someone tells you there's an issue with you, the more you buck up and say, oh, I don't care what you think. Or if you tend to have too low a view of yourself and you suffer with depression or self-hatred, others surround you and say, you're beautiful and you have purpose and I love you. And you say, I don't care what you think. I think what I think. And then, unfortunately, often they're connected. So think of Saul, the Old Testament king. This man was picked by the people, head and shoulders above the rest, right? Remember what happened in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 10? Saul is hiding behind luggage when he's about to be presented in front of the people as this, here's your king. He's hiding. And in chapter 15, when Saul is going to be dismissed by God, here's what Samuel says to him. He says, though you are little in your own eyes, you man of great stature and beauty, you're little in your own eyes. Didn't God set his affection on you and make you his anointed? And so Saul had too low of a view of himself, yet he loved what the people showered him with affection to try to fill that hole. And what did his kingship look like? Radical pride. He made himself king. He made himself prophet. He made himself priest. He changed the rules. He had a gaping, I hate me hole inside. And he tried to fill it with the affection and the power that other people gave to him. It's a black hole. It wrecks us. Years and years ago, Madonna was interviewed by Vogue magazine, and here's what she said. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. That's always been pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Now, what does the gospel say to this? Again, the, just like the gospel crushes fear of man, the gospel crushes self-justification, where I have to justify to myself that I'm good enough. No, here's what the scriptures teach us. What you think of yourself is inaccurate. That's what the scriptures tell us. Put off the old self, which is corrupt with its deceitful desires. Ephesians 4.22. It is dangerous to self-justify because you're going to be deceived at what you use to give yourself a different perception. Here's what the gospel says to us. What God thinks of you is going to ultimately bring reversal of what you think of yourself. 
If you think too high of yourself and you, you run after glory for yourself, what does God promise he will do to the proud? He will reverse it. He will humble them. If you think too low of yourself and the scriptures say you are beautiful, God made you in his image and you have gifts and he's redeemed you and you say, yeah, but I'm a waste of space. Yeah, but what does the scripture promise God does to those who are humble? Exalts you to a place that you don't think you are worthy of. For freedom Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1 And in this text, we're shown that slavery is over here, what other people think of me, and slavery is over here, what I think of myself. And it's like a volleyball match inside of our soul, isn't it? Just back and forth and back and forth, and it makes us sick. And here's the thing, and I'm going to start to wrap up. What's the source of either of those polarities? Right? What others think or what I think. In chapter 3, Paul comes down on them in the first five chapters, in the first five verses, and he says, you're so immature, you're being merely human. That's what he said. You're being of the flesh. Your mind is only this reality. So it doesn't matter if you evaluate what they say or what you say. They're, they're merely human opinions. What does Paul do in this text? He goes to a different source. He says, it's the Lord who judges me. I care what the Lord thinks. And then he gives instruction. Don't pronounce judgment on others or don't pronounce judgment on yourself before the time before the Lord comes. Paul knows that you and I live and he lived in a culture that loved to have this form of preliminary human sifting of who had value and who didn't. And Paul says, I prefer not to participate in that game. I'm going to wait. The Lord will come and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. Now, in this case, darkness does not mean dark sin. Darkness just means can't see it. He says when the king comes, when the judge comes, he's going to reveal what we can't see. And he'll disclose the purposes of the human heart, not just our behavior on the outside that we can trick others out with or we can self-justify ourselves with, but the hidden motive of our heart, he will reveal That's all he says. He doesn't unpack it. And the text is just so matter of fact here. He, here's how it all comes together. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. But I'm not fatalistic. I'm not resigned. The Lord's going to judge me. I'm good with that. Now, if, if that's the outline, does that sound like a terrifying reality to you? Because here's the thing. It doesn't seem terrifying to Paul at all. He does not seem oppressed by this. His, his mentality is total freedom, not fear. So here's the thing. He's writing as a Christian to Christians and he's saying, listen, if you live your life as though you're judged by God through the gospel of Jesus, you will know freedom in a world where we're often judged by fickle fools. Freedom. But here's the thing. There's still judgment. There's still a standard. There's still a holy law and it's higher than you can imagine and it's going to touch the darkest hidden places of your life. Your heart, the seat of your emotions. And so I took it out of the outline, but I'll use my words to say it. After the third point, I was going to write, oh, crap. And this doesn't sound much better than what they think of me, to have a holy judge who knows what's going on inside of me. But this is not a oh, no text, is it? It's one of the most beautiful surprise conclusions. In verse 5, there's a big surprise. 
And I hope you've taken this away from me. It's one of the preaching principles that I hold to and have been instructed by others to believe. When the Bible has a surprise, wrestle with a surprise. Verse 5 surprises us. On judgment day, the Lord will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and the purposes in our hearts. Then each one will receive his... Should it say condemnation from God? What does it say? His commendation from God. That's mind-blowing. That's why Paul is so free. So here's how we're going to close up. Note with me all the courtroom terminology in this text. Verse 3. I don't care that you judge me or if a human court judges me. Again in verse 3. I don't care that I judge me, but it doesn't acquit me. All this courtroom language. Do you realize that if you live on the Viking ship, pirate ship, yucky reality of what they think versus what I think, do you know what you're actually living like? You're living every moment as if you're on trial. You're, you're on trial by the world of what they think of you. You're on trial with yourself of what you think of you. You know what Paul says to us? The trial is over. And before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the judge of all eternity, you've already been judged guilty. But he put all the penalty of your guilt on his own son, Jesus. He was condemned for us. Romans 8.1, if you're in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. There's only commendation. I feel like we should just let go of the backpack with all the rocks in it of what other people think of you that you carry around all the time. Or what you think of you. And here's the last thought. If you were to let go of that heavy burden, so much so that you can say, I don't care what you think. If you don't care what they think, what does that set you up to be? A servant who cares about what they need. And so you can give yourself away to be a servant of somebody who needs you to introduce them to the God of all grace. And if you say, but I don't care what I think. I don't care about what will embarrass me or stress me or bring shame if I mess up. I don't care what I think. What are you free to be? A steward. Because you know what your master thinks of you and you're just going to go do. You can go be an evangelist of the mystery of the gospel. So kind of a test of whether you're free or not is are you able to be a servant and a steward because you don't care what they think or what you think? Would God use his word by his spirit to set us free this morning? Let me pray. Lord, would you make us servants and stewards? Would you set us free from what others think of us and set us free from what we think of us Would the fear of man and the self-justification that can make us sick be put to rest by the gospel of Jesus. I thank you for this text. I thank you for your servant, Paul. I thank you for the journey you've taken so many of us through in our own life. I thank you for the last 20 years of my life. And while I still am in need of incredible redemption, Lord, there's more freedom now because the gospel's true.
certainly in ministry. Would you set us free? Set your people free. Whether they think too high of others or too high of themselves or too low of themselves. Set us free for the glory of your gospel being stewarded by us as your servants. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.